0: So we've been on a journey now for the last six weeks, and we're going to be uh, continuing on it for a few weeks more as we talk about loving our cities. As we talk about uh, what we've been, we've been using the phrase "gospel movement." And so, for some of you that that haven't been here for all of this, or maybe you've missed a couple of the of the um, talks, I want to encourage you to please go to Christ Center's website and and listen to the podcasts. This is really important for all of us because this is what we're up to, and this is what we're going to be up to. And until Jesus comes, so understanding this as a framework is really, really important because it provides context for how it is that we're supposed to fulfill the Great Commission. When Jesus said, "All authority has been given to me on heaven in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." And that, but there's a that there's a strategy of how to do that. There is is wisdom from God on how we can engage. And we can draw that from history, and we're drawing that from Scripture. And so right now, what Jason and I have been endeavoring to do, and will continue to do, is is to help inform and educate and equip all of us, the priesthood of all believers, to do the work of the ministry. Because this isn't something that any one of us can do. Nor is it something that any one particular tribe, and by tribe I mean Christ Center is one tribe of many tribes, In the church of God. Does that make sense? So there were 12 tribes of Israel, but it was one family. Okay, well, there's many tribes in the church, but there's just one church. God is coming home for one bride. So one part of that bride isn't enough to see the, the gospel go into every part of society. It actually takes all of the church. And no one home group or one family within this tribe is enough to bring apart the, or bring about the fullness of the Great Commission. We need one another. We're completely interdependent. So we've been unpacking that. We've been talking about that for the last several weeks. And we're going to continue for a few more weeks. But, but again, I just want to say if you've missed... Any of the messages for this, I ask you, please go back and listen to those podcasts so that you're in step with what it is that we're doing. Because it requires each of us to be engaging in the work of Christ in meaningful, uh, full intellect involved, heartbeat, time, finances, love, and philosophy in order to extend the heart of God. And the beautiful thing is, it's not a mystery. Isn't that great? It's not a mystery. It's, it's, it's actually very, very clear, and, it, and it's engaging. It's an engaging uh, message. It's an engaging life that God's called us to. So um, I know that, uh, that sometimes we miss something, and that's fine. You know, I really encourage people as they ask, like, oh, I, I might miss church occasionally. Is, is that okay? You know, one of the things we talk about is I, I think on average, we, normally what we can, our, encourage people to do is, hey, sometimes you're going to miss the gathering on Sunday morning. That's going to happen. And in fact, I think if you're fully engaged and in, in, in healthy relationships, you're probably going to miss one Sunday a month because you got stuff that's going on. And that, praise God, you can get the podcast. But that doesn't mean that you should miss three Sundays a month or come every six weeks because then at that point, that's a completely different kind of thing that's happening and you are no longer in step with what's going on. You're, you're running on six-week-old information. You're running on six-week-old connection. And you know what? Here's the thing. We need each other. We need to come into the house and worship the Lord and take the sacraments together. We need to be reminded of the vision. And so that's what we do. That's why we gather together, to worship him, to become like him, to reconnect with one another and to continue in that work. Amen? All right. So here we go. Let me give you a little review. Loving our cities. We want to see the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole city. And for the last few weeks, we've been we walked through, well, what is the whole church? And if you've missed that, as I said, it's on the podcast, please get it. If it and then taking the whole gospel. What is the whole gospel? Uh, I definitely wanna say this. It is word and deed. And Jason uh, did a great job unpacking that. It's not one and, and, and not the other. It's not the other and not the one. It is both together. If we do not present both actions and a lifestyle as well as preach the gospel, we have not done it. If we preach the gospel but don't provide actions in a lifestyle, we have not done it. We must do them together. And then we say, okay, well then if the whole church is gonna take the whole gospel into the whole city, then we have to ask ourselves the question, what is a city? What is a city? If we're gonna take it into the whole city, well, what is it? This is a great definition that I I appreciate very much. It is a walkable, shared, mixed-use, diverse area, a place of commerce, residence, culture, and politics. In any place that you see these things going on, what you have is a city, and it doesn't matter if it's a city like New York or whether it's a city like Junction City. When you see these things happening, then you can go, ah, this is a city. How many of you know that the first city started with two people? It was in a garden, came with a mandate, I want you to cultivate this. I w- that's where we get the word culture. God speaks to Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and multiply and cultivate this garden. Fill the earth and subdue it. I want you to actually bring my heartbeat, my blessing into this earth. And I want you to cultivate. Say cultivate. I want you to cultivate these things. My goodness, my character in the earth. That was the first city. It grew pretty quickly. Here we are now with how many billion people on the earth at the, at the last count? Anybody? Seven billion people. So here we are, we're continuing. We're actually getting up on eight billion now, right? We're getting close. It just keeps happening. It's a good thing. But, but cities were God's idea, and we spent some time talking about that. Cities are God's idea. How many of us, I mean, and I'm actually curious, how many of you at some time or another, we won't hold you to this, but please be honest, you're in church, God's watching. He watches other times too, but nonetheless, how many of you at one time or another have had the sense that cities are actually inherently a bad idea. Serious, like at one time or another, you don't even have to feel, to keep them up, you don't have to feel that way now, but at some point you were like, cities are a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, come on, thank you for being honest. And the rest of you are just, you just came out smarter than we were. And um, no, no, um, I, I tell you to trust me and then I insult you, I'm sorry, forgive me. <laughs> but I, I raised my hand too though, so you're sort of in with good company, kind of. But here's the thing. The good news is, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this now, but the good news is cities are God's idea. Cities are God's idea. He loves cities. He prays over cities. He weeps over cities. And we spent some time on that in the past as well, showing, and if you go back and listen, I believe it was the the first message, we spent time that God says, it's okay for you to love cities. They're my idea. And in fact, I'll just give you a little hint that he loves cities. When Christ comes and creates a new heaven and a new earth, it says that he comes with a new Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? It's a city. The culmination of redemption comes with new Jerusalem, which is a city. That's pretty redemptive, isn't it? So I just want to put that out there. It's okay to love cities. God loves cities. And cities are inherently created to bless they're created as a blessing. It's an interdependence of people who are coming together in these areas, and God wants that to be a fulfillment of loving him and loving your neighbor as yourself. So are you guys pretty clear on the city? How are you feeling about that? All right. So then we look at this, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, God is speaking to the Israelites at this point who have been sent off and exiled to Babylon. But this is a beautiful scripture for us because it speaks to us as exiles on how we're to act until he comes and brings the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. This is the template, a beautiful template, for how we are to think and reason while we're in our cities until Christ comes and redeems all things. Now, you guys know, do you guys know that you're exiles? Did you know this? You, did you? You're very quiet. A couple of you knew that you were exiles. Well, you are, whether you knew it or not. Your exiles and we're to think and reason like exiles to the extent that it applies and comes into the context of Jeremiah 29 and by exiles what we mean is this Christ will come again all of the earth belongs to him and we're to extend his kingdom while we're here but we are not to see ourselves as primarily citizens of the earth but rather citizens of the kingdom of heaven This is key for us because if we forget that we're citizens, first and foremost, of the kingdom of heaven, it will absolutely shift the way that we act in the cities. So there is an exile component to who we are, that we never see ourselves as primarily just earthbound on this part of it, but that we understand our citizenship is in heaven and we are ambassadors seeing heaven coming to earth. And we're establishing as much heaven on earth right now because of what God's told us to do as as is absolutely possible until he comes. And the scripture says when he comes, every eye will have seen, every ear will have heard the gospel of Jesus. Every eye will see when he comes, I'm sorry. Every ear will have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and then he'll come. And it also says this, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. I say this because it's important that we understand that we're establishing the knowledge of the glory of God on earth right now. But we do that because we're citizens of heaven. It's okay to live here. It's okay to love your city. But your mindset has to be connected to the fact that we are absolutely the family of God extending his purposes, his culture, his ideas, his city within the city. Until he actually comes then and fully redeems everything. Are you with me? Okay. These are a lot of big ideas, but I, I really want to have them all in here. And because we have, I know some that haven't been listening to this series yet or haven't been a part, I really wanted everybody to at least have some, some basis of what we're talking about here. Are you guys with me so far? So everything we build here physically is connected to the eternal. Because all that is seen speaks of what is unseen. We live according to the king and his kingdom. And what we demonstrate in love and service speaks to the reality of that kingdom. So everything that we're doing right now, when you serve in the name of Jesus and you establish things in the name of Jesus, those things that bless people, those things that you build that create kindness and love and beauty, that bless people and cause them to prosper, those things are eternal because they're blessing people and the people are eternal. So it means everything that you do in your city counts. How many of you have heard the, the expression, well, it's all gonna burn? Right, come on. We've all heard that, ah, it's all gonna burn. You're right in the middle of doing something, it's like, well, don't get too excited, it's all gonna burn. Now that's true, and in the right context, that's an appropriate thing. Like, don't get too excited about stuff, it's just stuff. It's only valuable if that stuff is serving your neighbor. Okay? But here's the thing, when you have stuff, and you establish that stuff in line with God's heart, what that stuff does to create the kingdom in people's hearts is eternal. Are you with me? Then you're building the eternal kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom is within you. And so everything you're doing in the name of Jesus in line with his heart and in line with his kingdom is eternal. So that's why it's okay to build beautiful things in our cities because cities are are the way that God bless people. The places where, the, where, where families come together, the things that God uses to bless people. He wants us to be involved in that, all right? We're all together so far? So let me read Jeremiah 29. So the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, I want you to build houses and dwell in them. I want you to plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. So God is saying, while you're here, I want you to increase, not decrease. So that's huge. I want you to increase, not decrease. I'd like you to say the word increase. That's right, because that's what God wants us to do while we're here. He wants us to increase. He doesn't want us to hold out and, and back up. He wants us to move forward and extend his kingdom. And he means that with having babies as well as every other aspect of the kingdom. He goes on. He says, And seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. And we spent some time on this, but it's that word shalom. It's important that I unpack this word shalom. When God is telling us, I want you to pray for the shalom of the city in which you live, it's not just a one word, a, a one, a tiny little identifier. It's all of this. Now, in a lot of times, uh, Bible teachers will grab a word and they'll look at it and they'll say, every single thing that this word could mean is what it means in this particular verse. And that's not always a wise way to interpret words, Right? Are you guys with me? But this is one of the few times that you can actually do this with authority and say when God is saying I want you to pray for the shalom of the city, this word shalom, it is all this stuff. You can take the whole definition and say this is the shalom he's talking about. It's this complete. It's saying I want you to pray for your city that it would have completeness, soundness, welfare, and peace. I want, you to, I want it to be complete in number. There needs to be all the right people. They all need to be there. We don't want people leaving our cities and having to flee from them. We want everything that God wants for it. We want it to be Um, safe and sound in health and body we want every part of people's bodies and every aspect of their life to be full we're praying for that we're praying for the prosperity for the tranquility for contentment for friendship of human relationships that there's contentness and wholeness with God in a covenant relationship peace from war peace and I love that word whole I love that word pray that your city would be whole So when he's saying pray for the shalom of your city, pray for that place that you're in, he he wants you to dream over that city for wholeness. Are you guys with me? Okay, so pray for the wholeness of your city, for if it is whole, you will be whole. Let me say that again. Jesus says, I want you to pray for the shalom of the city, for if the city has shalom, you will have shalom. Which means if the city doesn't have shalom, you will not have shalom right? Is this true? Pray that the city would be whole, because if the city is whole, you will be whole. And if the city is not whole, you are not whole. All right, you guys are with me. So let me show you something here. I think.
1: The first step of making yeast bread is to make sure that the yeast is alive. This is called proofing the yeast. This is one of the most crucial steps because if the yeast is dead it can't leaven the bread. To proof the yeast measure out the amount of milk or other liquid that's specified in the recipe and heat the milk to a temperature of 100 to 110 degrees. You can heat the milk in the microwave if you wish. Add the warm milk to a large bowl and stir in the sugar and the yeast. Let this mixture stand for about five minutes. Live yeast will begin to swell and foam or bubble a few minutes after it's stirred into the warm liquid. To make the bread dough, add most of the flour to the liquid ingredients all at once and stir just until the mixture is combined. Save some of the flour for kneading. After the mixture is combined, dump the dough onto a floured surface and you're ready to knead. Add enough of the remaining flour to get the dough to the desired consistency for kneading. It's okay if you don't use all of the remaining flour. Knead the dough with authority. Push it out with the heels of your hands, (laughs) fold it over, give it a quarter turn, and repeat. Add more flour when necessary. Knead for eight to ten minutes, or until the dough feels smooth and elastic, but still a little tacky. For the first rising, place the dough in a large bowl coated with cooking spray, because the dough will double in size. Cover the bowl with a slightly damp, lightweight dish towel and place in a warm place, approximately 85 degrees, free from drafts, for one hour. When the dough appears to have doubled in size, gently press two fingers into the dough. If the indentation remains, the dough has risen enough. Punch the dough down in the center to deflate it. After you've punched the dough down to deflate it, turn the dough out onto a floured surface for rolling. For this recipe, we want to roll the dough into a rectangle. Lift the rolling pin up slightly as you near each end of the rectangular shape. For the second rising of the dough, roll up the dough and place it, seam side down, in a greased loaf pan or one that's been lightly coated with cooking spray cover and let it rise one hour or until the loaf has doubled in size. Watch the loaf carefully. If it rises too much and starts to fall, the bread will be dense. Once the loaf has doubled in size, the dough is ready to bake.
0: Just something about watching bread get made. I'm hungry now. I better <laughs> better hurry this up. Luke 13, 20 through 21, and again Jesus said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which is yeast, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. How much of that loaf did they not get yeast into? none. That yeast is everywhere in that loaf. I thought it was interesting. It was kind of a little, a little uh, bonus. But I love that she said, take aside a little water, a little warm water. Take aside a, a culture that's already warm and put the yeast in and add some sweetness, some sugar, and make sure the yeast is alive. You're in the warm water right now. And there's the sweetness of worship. There's the sweetness of fellowship. There's the sweetness of the word which is being preached. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. God commands a blessing there. This is the place where we come together with, with, with our wounds, with our fears, with our great ideas and with our bad ideas. And we come together and God brings us to life. We take, the, we take the elements and we remember that it's by grace that we're saved. We are not better than our brother. We're not worse than our brother. We are saved by grace just like our brothers and sisters. And if we're dead, we come to life. Because come on, sometimes we are dead yeast, aren't we? It's just true. It's okay, you can say it. But we come in and in the, in the, and in the warmth of fellowship, in the warmth of what we do here, it activates us, and we start to bubble, and we start to froth, and we get active, don't we? We get active. You get activated. But then you take the yeast, and it says the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast that a woman took, and, and says three measures of meal. That's like 60 pounds of flour. This is a lot of bread. And it, and, and it begins to, I loved it, knead it with authority, right? Did you like that? Knead it with authority. I thought, that's an interesting way to say it. Until it is in the whole loaf. And you know what's amazing? When the yeast, when the kingdom of heaven, when the people of God get into the whole city, the whole city starts to rise. It starts to rise out of racism. It starts to rise out of misuse of power. It starts to rise out of greed, out of unforgiveness and pride, out of poverty, out of manipulation, out of the breakdown in relationships. Because the kingdom of heaven is within you and you are carrying the kingdom as yeast into the whole city. Now what happens to the parts of the loaf that don't have any yeast? They don't rise. They just lay there inert, unable to rise. So what are, some of the, what are some of the blockages? What are some of the things that would get in the way of seeing the beauty of what God has just said that the kingdom of heaven is like? What could, if I were the devil, what would I do to stop this live group of sons and daughters of God from actually fulfilling the work that you're called to do to help your city to rise? Well, first of all, I would do, I would do a couple things. Well, Revelations 12:10 says this: I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is coming salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Do you guys know that your enemy, the enemy of your soul, is the accuser of the brethren? That whispering, authority, seemingly authoritative voice that you hear in your head that accuses other people, that is Satan. Whoever this crazy person is that just shot a bunch of people because they engage in homosexual activity, I guarantee Satan was there saying, you're doing the world a favor because these guys are doing something wrong, and it would be better if you just, and that person listened to that voice. Now, that's an extreme case of it, but here's what I want you to know. The enemy is here doing the same thing with us all of the time. You are the object of God's affection. And Satan hates you. And he hates everyone who is made in God's image, which means everyone. And his one desire is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the best way that he can do that is to pit people against each other. And that's what he does. And the best place where he can get it done, it's kind of hard to fight with other people if you just live alone somewhere. It, I mean, you win all the arguments. You know, it's, it's just easier. You can live at peace with all men when no one else is around. That's easier to get there. But when you're in the city, and again, we're talking about Harrisburg, and we're talking about uh, Monroe, and we're talking about Junction City, and we're talking about any place where it's the walkable, diverse, multi-use place of culture, etc. Anytime we have these places... The enemy is there accusing the brethren. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast to come in and to begin to work in through the whole loaf. But if I were the enemy, you know what I would do? I would accuse other people and I would create a us and them mentality. You see, what I would do is say, Well, yes, we want to follow the Lord. We're yeast. But the problem is, those guys over there, they're the problem. The problem is those guys over there. They're not loafy enough for our yeast. The Lord doesn't want us in that section. In fact, those guys are the problem. What we need to do with them is we just need to let them be separate And then we get real cute, too. The enemy, by the way, knows the Scriptures better than most of us and is phenomenal at quoting them. When he tempted Jesus, he used Scriptures to tempt Jesus. That's why we have to test the Scriptures. I mean, sorry, we have to test the Spirit and see who it is. Because the devil quotes the Scripture. You know what he'll tell you? He'll say, you will reap what you sow. Those people over there in your city, they need to reap what they've been sowing. You guys, you know what that is? That's a Christian application of karma. Do you know what karma is? Karma is the belief that you have been reincarnated and come back at whatever life form level you needed to be because of the sins of your past life. And here's the thing. You have to live out this whole life at that level in order to earn another chance to be at a better level next life. It means there's no extending of mercy. Karma is not merciful. Karma has even been used oftentimes in Thailand for why some people will sell their daughter into sex trafficking because she was being obstinate, as kids sometimes are, and maybe a grandma, and this has happened, will say, she has bad karma. She's cursed. You need to get her out of this house. And this is happening today. Karma is not merciful. Who do you think thought of this? The enemy, the accuser of the brethren, who says, this part of your city is not part. Are you guys with me? I know I'm jumping around a little bit here, but you guys are tracking, right? See, he's saying, it's us and them. Those guys are the problem. They need to reap what they're sowing. They don't need mercy. They don't need kindness. They need judgment. But Jesus said, when he came, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save it. He said, there will be a day when my Father, who is the righteous judge, will judge each person according to their work, and it will be according to what they did with me. Did they believe in me when they heard the gospel, or did they reject the gospel? That's what it'll be based on. But until that day comes, Jesus says, it's my kindness that leads to repentance, and yet, when it comes to the city, we hear this voice chattering back there that says, they are so selfish and stupid and wicked and bad, and you know what they really need? They need to get their comeuppance. Some of us talk like that. They need to get, they need to get what they got coming. They made these bad decisions. They made that bed. They need to sleep in it. God is not the one saying that. The enemy is the one saying that. He's saying, yeah, You Christians are doing your best, but boy, they kicked you out of the schools. So let the devil have the schools then, and then we'll see what people think. Boy, they'll just come running back to God. No, they won't. They won't come running back to God because they don't know about God. They haven't seen, they haven't been in contact with the yeast. The only way that the people will come to God is if they come in contact with the yeast. And we're the yeast. So the enemy comes and he says, it's us and them. He says, it's they. He says, it's their problem. That part of the city, that's their problem. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, of course it's going bad. That's where they cook meth over there. That's where all the stupid people hang out. That's where the gangs are moving in. Oh, that over there? Yeah, that's where those rich people live. Must be nice getting rich on the backs of the poor. We'll see what happens when God judges them. The enemy's always coming up with something. He's always accusing one class against another class. Do you know who invented that whole classism situation? The devil. It's an us and them trick. But God has come and said, I want you to pray that the city would be whole. Because if it is whole, you will be whole. So we pray for the whole city. Does that make sense? So we know this voice is coming from him. Those people. Yeah, another one. Um, Here's what we want to say. It's us. It's we. It's our city. We have, let let me just go through this. So if, if we change our mindset, if we reject what the enemy's trying to do by dividing us, if we reject the idea that God loves some humans and then doesn't love other humans, because that's really what it is, isn't it? If it's us and them, then what we're saying is, although God brought me into the kingdom through his kindness, which led me to repentance, and although the word says that God died for us while we were yet sinners, Even though those things are true, and that's how I got in, as for this part of town, whether they be rich or whether they be poor, whether they be destitute or whether they be manipulative, whether they're in power or whether they're not in power, whatever it is, whatever's getting us upset at that moment, we give ourselves that that luxury to say, those people, what we're actually saying is, God loves them less than me. He sent us to go to all people and preach the gospel and we know that the gospel is word and deed and we know it's his kindness that leads to repentance so we can't cut anyone out of that kindness that would lead to repentance. We can't cut any aspect of the city out to say that's their problem over there in that part of the city. And cuz God came to save cities. He came to save individuals but not just individuals, whole cities. And he uses individuals to save whole cities. Because they're filled with individuals. This sounds circular, but he's that complete. He's interested in the whole thing. And we cannot give in to the trap of the enemy who gets us to engage in classism, racism, sectarianism, denominationalism, every ism schism. (laughs) And we've embraced it. And we even signed God's name to it. I mean, we made a joke about I mean, how many times have you heard a prophecy about how San Francisco is going to have a big old earthquake and all of California is going to go into the sea? And, and, and a lot of Christians go, amen. Then they'll know. But none of us got saved that way. I have repented many times because bad things have happened to me. None of them have taken. It was his kindness that changed my life. My, my crisis prayers have never lasted. It was in the midst of him extending mercy again that I finally broke and said, you have got to be kidding me. You're not kidding me. <laughs> it's his kindness that leads to repentance. And so we're to demonstrate that in the whole city. Are you guys with me? So let me, let me just, lay, I want to re, read some statements here. When we start to think about the whole city, we can no longer say, well, you know what? The Democrats have the school system. So you know what? If they think they can run it right, then let's just see what all those liberals can do. Right? I mean, that's just true. Oh, the Republicans have got the military complex. Well, you know what? They think they can handle all of that? Well, then let's just see what they can do. Oh, well, the libertarians think they've got it right they think they got it figured out, well, let's see how that works out for them. And, and I could go on and on and on. Oh, the school board is all locked up with these kind of people. Oh, the city council is that. They and them and they and them and that and those guys. And all the while, the enemy stands back and he goes, I love it when a beautiful plan comes together. You know, I mean, it's, he's the accuser, he's doing that. There's only one way to defeat this. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and all the earth belongs to God. I'm gonna say this, I love it, I love it in in Joshua, when the angel of the Lord appears to Joshua before he's getting ready to go into the promised land, and Joshua asks him this, are you for us, or are you against us? And the angel of the Lord says, neither. I'm the commander of of the armies of the living God. I am neither for you or against you. I'm following what he's got going on. And here's the beauty for us, though we need to participate in every level, on every school board, and in political parties, and in all of those things, our name is never Republican or Democrat. It's never independent or or whatever. We're not Presbyterians or Baptists. We are first and foremost primarily citizens of the kingdom of heaven, able to maneuver in every situation unto the blessing of God for cities, knowing that he is working, And so that gives us a freedom to pray for the wholeness of the city, even if our least favorite party gets the credit for that four years. Gosh, I'd love to help you out with that, but it's going to make your party look good. And I just can't do that. The kingdom of heaven is pretty radical. We rise above all these things. You notice I didn't say we don't participate. We must participate. But our position is to say, Father, how do we release blessing with wisdom in the time that we're in? Are you with me? And so we look at the whole city. We look at city, parts of our city that are controlled by people we don't agree with, and we say, God, how do I care for that part of the city? So it will change our language. Here's some language we begin to speak when we look at the whole city These are our children, these are our neighbors. These are our problems. These are our opportunities. These are our challenges, our failures, our successes, our governments, our schools, our city. So then when we begin to engage with Jeremiah 29, and we're going to continue to unpack this, but I'll end with this thought. As we begin to engage with Jeremiah 29, And and Oh, I'm looking so, I'm excited about Isaiah 61 too, it's coming. But it says, I want you to live there, I want you to plant there, I want you to work there, I want you to marry there, and I want you to pray for the shalom of the city. Because if it is whole, you will be whole. And suddenly then, there is no problem that is not our problem. We must pray then for our schools. If our literacy rates are down, then we say, God, our schools, our literacy rates are down. And we don't give ourselves the opportunity to say, they are doing it wrong and they need to fix it. We say, God, we're doing something wrong. If we're so gridlocked that we can't get along, then God, heal that. If we don't like each other so much that we refuse to get along, then God, heal that. If, if wisdom is so far from us as a people that we can't even see what's clearly in front of us, then God, heal that. But our problem is thus and so. Not their problem. Not God, heal them. Those guys. Those people. No, these are our cities. These are our children. We don't say, Lord, those lazy, homeless people, they need to get a grip. We say, God, we have a problem. Some of our people in our cities are unable to thrive for whatever reason. But then we don't get to figure out what the reason is and be done. We begin to pray towards that. And we ask God, God, how do I pray? And then each of us will find this. We'll find our assignment. Because as we pray, God will say, great job. Every time, guys, every time the answer that you see something in your city, the answer is pray. When you see something in your city, what's the answer? That's right, pray for the wholeness of our cities. Pray for the wholeness of our cities. Pray for the shalom of our cities. And then as we're praying for the shalom and you begin to say, oh, it's our city. You notice I didn't say it's my city because it's not my city, it's our city. And you notice that I didn't say it's your city because it's not your city, it's our city. See, it's our city. And when we're praying for our city, it changes the way that we pray because suddenly then I have a responsibility to do something. But then I'm also humbled because it's way too big for just me. I gotta get us involved. And as I begin to pray from that place of understanding that it's neither mine nor yours, but ours, and that everything belongs to the Lord, then I say, God, how do I pray for our city? And he begins to direct those prayers. My imagination lights up because I'm no longer trying to shove it off on someone else and shutting my brain down, nor, nor am I crushed with the responsibility of every problem because I don't say it's just mine, it's ours. And then I pray, God, for the shalom of the city in this area, in that area, in this area. (laughs) Karen prays all the time for businesses to come into Junction City. She has been praying now for 10 years. Actually, we were prayer walking before that, but she has been praying for businesses. We brought it up and prayed and prayed and prayed. And you know what we're seeing? Country coach came back to life. Winnebago is coming back. We're seeing, Cosmocorns was born since we started praying. Did I do that by ourselves? No. But we were a part of it. Our city has these things because we've been praying. We're praying for our schools. We're praying for the families because these are our cities. And so in the midst of that, as we pray these prayers, then God begins to also give us strategies in where we engage. And we'll begin to walk through that in the coming weeks. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and may he give you peace. Jesus said these words, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That is what we're doing in this life. I commission you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The prayer servant team is coming. If you need healing in your body or encouragement, please come forward. God bless you.